You are listening to the You Are a Lawyer podcast. I am the podcast host, Kyla Denanyo, a 2015 law school graduate. This podcast was created to share the experiences and successes of law school graduates who created their own paths to career success. In episode 23, I am speaking with a registered nurse and lawyer. This guest is passionate about healthcare and advocating for others in hospitals and courtrooms. Based in the Bronx, New York, today's guest is Ernice Williams. Welcome to the podcast, Ernice. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, of course. Would you tell the audience a little bit about yourself? Yes. So my name is Ernice Williams. I go by your nurse lawyer on all of my social media. And I am a nurse and an attorney. I've been a nurse for 12 years. I've been an attorney for six years. I've owned my own law practice for the past two and a half years, but I still also work in healthcare, especially during COVID. I recently went back into the hospital. So a few days a week, I work in the hospital and the other days of the week, I'm running my practice. And I'm really passionate about maternal health care advocacy, maternal health care rights and reproductive rights, as well as just getting people to understand what health care is, what it means and what it can be, and really opening up people's eyes to where health and law intersect Mm -hmm. so that people can really understand how to advocate for themselves and to really work on the policies that impact those who pretty much are marginalized and pushed to the outskirts because of their limited knowledge. Yeah. So you're in New York right now? Yeah. Okay. So are you originally from New York? I'm originally from Connecticut. Born born and kind of raised. I lived in Texas for a lot of my life as well. But Connecticut's my home, but I went to school in D.C. And I lived in Baltimore and between D.C. and in different parts of Maryland for since I graduated from undergrad in law school. And then I moved to New York like two and a half years ago. So I've been here for, for two and a half years. Okay. How do you like it compared to Baltimore? It's just different. D.C. has a very busy feel, but more of a Monday through Friday business type of feel where people are working hard, but everyone wants to either be in politics or CEOs or like just a very (laughs) ambitious place. Mm -hmm. And you find yourself involved in just a lot of different projects and activities. That's just how the city rolls. So it just kind of pushes you into a very political state of mind and being. And in Baltimore too, because it's very much connected to DC, it's just as busy, but it's more of a Monday through Friday busy, okay, like a work week, whereas New York is a grind seven days a week. nonstop 24 hours a day there's always somewhere to go something to do somewhere to eat and it, it, it just pushes you because everything is super expensive every experience spends so much money going out that it forces you to be like I need to make more money I need to grow <laughs> and do bigger things and so it does push you to really explore opportunities that you may not have thought about if you were in a different place yeah. um, I moved to Houston for a little while after I graduated from law school just to get a break from the east coast and it was like Everyone's just relaxed and having a good mm-hmm. time. Everyone owned their home. And it was just a very relaxed, laid back environment. But here it's like, it's just a different world. And it teaches you just a lot about people and about cultures. And you get to experience a lot of that. Yeah. So I saw that you went to Howard for undergrad. You graduated mm-hmm. with a nursing degree. And yeah. then you also went to Howard for law school as well. Mm-hmm. What yeah. inspired you to become a nurse? Growing up, I was raised a lot by my grandparents who were elderly and sickly. Um, so I was always with them at the doctor and when they were sick in the hospital or when they had nurses at home. So I had a lot of that experience growing up and I love to see the doctors and the nurses that took care of them. 
they were excellent. And I think that really inspired me to do that for them. Cause I was like, if, you know, these people are treating my grandparents like that, I want to make sure that other people's families get that same experience. And so I kind of always knew, like I wanted to be a nurse in some ways. I was like, oh, I'll be a nurse. And then maybe I'll become a doctor. And then I got to nursing school and I was like, I am not going to be in school the rest (laughs) of my life. And so becoming a nurse was really fulfilling for me. My dream was to work at Johns Hopkins when I graduated and it happened literally my senior year, I got an internship and then got a job. And I was like, oh, that was like my big goal. Now what I want to do. And so becoming a nurse is like, it was a big deal for my family. I think we've had nurses in our family. Most of my family are teachers or, you know, blue collar workers. And so Mm -hmm. becoming a nurse was a really big deal. And it really, my family was extremely proud. Yeah. And you practiced for a couple of years and then you decided to actually go to law school. Yes. I mean, working in D.C., like I said, it forces you to look at things politically and look at policy. And so the Affordable Care Act was coming out and that was all that was talked about, like on the news nonstop. And so I was like, well, if they're going to put something out like that, they really need someone who knows healthcare and knows, you know, what is needed in healthcare for things to get better. And so I was like, well, I'll either get a policy degree or a law degree so that I can like work for the Department of Health and Human Services. That was my plan. Like, I, I'm a planner. So I had a whole plan and I met some people who work for the Department of Health and Human Services and the work that they were doing. And I thought it was really interesting, but I thought at least if I got a law degree, I would have more opportunities versus just getting a policy degree and kind of being stuck in policy. And so, yeah, that's how I decided to go to law school. Applied to a few, not many law schools. I only applied to one undergrad. I only applied to Howard when I went to undergrad. And then for law school, I applied to a few schools, but Howard stuck out the most for a few reasons. Um, and I was definitely glad I went. Yeah. So did you find that law school was more difficult than your nursing degree or just different? I think it was just different. I think nursing school is extremely hard because it's nonstop things that you have to do. So, you know, you have to pass all these classes just to get into the nursing program. And then you're in the program, you have classes and clinicals and labs. Like it's just a lot of work. Whereas I felt like with law school, that one exam at the end of the semester was just a lot of pressure Mm -hmm. and trying to keep up with all of the reading, knowing that it all comes together at the end. I think was just really, really difficult in a way that I felt like nursing school, like every week or every two weeks you were having an exam, you kind of knew if you were doing good, if you weren't, if you were on track or if you weren't, if you needed tutoring, if you understood the content. Yeah. Whereas in law school, like you get to the exam and you realize like, oh, I don't think I knew what I thought I knew. <laughs> and I'm just going to write because <laughs> this is all yeah. I have to give. So I think it was just a different experience definitely comparative as far as the difficulty level and the amount of critical thinking that you have to do and the amount of time and commitment that is needed Mm -hmm. to be in either. But law school was a different beast to me. I feel like in nursing school, anybody can get an A. So if everyone gets an A, it's not a big deal. But the curve, that was a new concept for me. And I was like, this is not fun. Like, (laughs) I don't want to be, I don't want to hold up the curve. I don't want to be at the bottom of the curve. Like I don't. And then when you're at the top of the curve, people hate you. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) it was just, I feel like you can't compare it to anything. Yeah. And for those that don't know, in law school, the highest grade sets the curve. So if the highest grade is a C, everybody else has to fall after that. And typically the person who gets the highest degree earns what's called a Cali Award. And those are always publicized. So you always know who ends up having that highest grade. So, Mm -hmm. okay. 
the most unnerving thing about law school for me was having to share work, if that makes sense. I went to undergrad and I worked for about eight years. Then I went to law school. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so I'm like, criminal law, I'm reading every single case. Wait, this is 200 pages and I have four mm -hmm. of the classes. So getting into a group and being like, oh, you're not just my friends that we're going to study with. You take 10 briefs, you take 10, you take 10. Mm -hmm. That was different for me. It was a whole nother thing. I was like, no one told me this. All the people I talked to before law school, no one mentioned this. Ever. I never heard anyone talk about law school in the way that it happens. I right? Know. Like, I don't think anyone has ever laid out the foundation of what law school is really like. No one. Ever. <laughs> it's terrible. <laughs> and I yeah. can't even imagine being in D.C. Like you said, everyone there is so ambitious. Uh, yeah. yeah. You know, even though Howard is based in social justice, there's still a lot of people who are gunning for going to private firms and going mm -hmm. to big, the big firms. And so, you know, they need those grades in order for them to get those positions where I was like, I don't want to go work there. Like, I'm going I'm to be good with a B. Like, I'm okay. <laughs> but, you know, then it just becomes really competitive. And for me, I was like, that's an icky feeling where I felt in nursing school, like we all worked together to pass, to understand mm -hmm. the content because we all wanted to pass so that we could get to a better place together. Versus where it was like, you know, you versus your classmate, because yeah. that's what needed to happen in order for them to get the best grade. Yeah. And you probably had a better perspective because nursing school is literally life and death. Mm -hmm. And law school is just, we couldn't agree. So we're <laughs> going to have a mediator. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. So, okay. So on your website, you mentioned that you were working in an ICU unit and there was an amputee. And working on that assignment actually inspired you to go to law school. Would you share more details about that? Yeah. So I was working in the pre-op PACU, which is where we get patients ready to go to the operating room or when they're coming back and they may be going home, we'll take care of some of those patients as well. So I was working there and this is kind of where the, at the time where I was thinking about what did I want to do next, I knew I wanted to get another degree mm -hmm. and he came in and he was a young guy. And usually our patients come in, we do their IVs, sign their paperwork and they're out. But for whatever reason, the time of day he came, there must've been a delay and he was just there for a while. So I was, went in and I'm like, you look really young to be getting an amputation. And he was like, yeah. And I was like, what happened? And which is you, I usually never ask people what happened. Not that I don't care. It's just you know, it's just very intrusive and people are yeah. never really there for those types of conversations. But for whatever reason, the area that I worked in, people used to tell me everything. It was, it was a great place to be sometimes. <laughs> it was great, great storytelling. And so he was like, yeah, I, I was a teacher. I had got my PhD. I was a principal. And for whatever reason, whatever school he was working at, he had just got laid off. And so he lost his insurance, wasn't feeling well, went to a clinic, found out that he had diabetes and you know, he didn't really understand the diagnosis. And when he began to ask more questions, they were very rude to him. They were very demeaning. And he felt like, I don't deserve this. Like, you know, not just because he's educated, but just because he was like, I just lost my insurance. Like, I'm only here because I don't have insurance, not because I'm, you know, a bad person. Yeah. Uh, and he just didn't know how to react to that. So instead of seeking care anywhere else, which is also probably hard, trying to find a free clinic in any city is difficult. So he just decided that he wasn't going back. So despite the fact that he knew he had a diagnosis that needed some type of treatment, he never followed back up. And he got a little cut on his leg and because his blood sugar wasn't under control, which is one of the side effects of having diabetes, that one cut turned into an infected wound that led to him having a below the knee amputation. Wow. 
So by the time I had met him, he was already back working. He was a principal. He's a wheelchair user because of the infection in his leg. And he basically just kind of had accepted that he messed up. Like he made a mistake. He, you know, knew a little bit of that he should have been, you know, seeking more help, but that experience had tainted him so bad that he never really wanted to get back in healthcare or, or be involved with anyone in healthcare. And my heart broke, like you're 30 something years old. You're Man. about to live with a below the knee amputation, with, which comes with so much recovery, so much pain. It's a lot. Mm-hmm. It's so much more to it. And you still have diabetes that you have to control. And as someone who was like a principal of a school, you now have that to overcome. And in DC, DC is a very old city and it's not very well planned out. So it's very hard to get around. It's not easy if you have a disability to get around most cities, but DC is not easy at all. Even though there are laws that should protect those things, it just doesn't happen. And so to know that that is a challenge that he was about to face, he was still very optimistic, very positive, you know, understood that he took complete responsibility for it. But, you know, he shared that with me and it just sat with me. Like, it just, like literally still sits with me like yeah how could someone who is educated who understands enough that if he was properly informed of what he needed to do would have made the right decisions that we allowed him to walk out of our healthcare system and not receive any more support follow-up or care like nobody even called him to say hey you didn't follow back up with us are you taking your medicine are you did you get all the things that you needed nothing and that broke my heart. And I was yeah. like, if there, if there's one of him sitting in front of me, there are a thousand more who I won't ever see who are experiencing the same kind of things. And that's where kind of my passion to change healthcare and to be a voice for marginalized people really, really grew from there. Like it was already there because I knew what people were going through, but that moment really kind of told me like, you got to do more. Yeah. So is that serving underrepresented communities and marginalized people, is that part of the healthcare consulting that you do? Or is that just something that you do now that you're an attorney as well? So I've always like being in DC, I've always volunteered and worked with different organizations. And so it's always been a part of who I am and what I do, but becoming a lawyer, I think I saw it on a bigger perspective of how I can do that and how I can impact policy and advocacy and how I can teach people how to advocate for themselves. A lot of I do on social media, or just some of the trainings I do. I do some maternal health advocacy for free for pro bono. That's like my pro bono gift is working with women who may have had bad experiences in healthcare. Um, but they're not really able to sue because they don't have any injury or long lasting impact. And so being able to help them find their voice and figure out how to get engaged and get involved and make some type of complaint, but not necessarily one that may lead to a lawsuit. So it is a part of the work that I do and some of the consulting that I do and, and education that I do. I love that you were an advocate before law school and then law school just kind of tuned it up a little bit. So did you take a lot of electives when you were in law school, things like medical malpractice and some other stuff like that? So Howard doesn't offer a lot of specialty classes. They offer a lot of clinics. So they had one, I think, medical related class and I took that and it was okay. But in law school, I did the housing clinic, which I absolutely loved. I wanted to be a housing lawyer for a while until I saw how much money they made. Um, And so I 
loved the housing program, worked with a client who actually won her case, who had been an ongoing case for years. And we finally kind of got her to the end, which was very satisfying. Awesome. And they do a lot of criminal justice work. Yeah, I think they, they really focus a lot more on their clinics than they necessarily focus on the classes, which I think is really helpful because it does help you get a lot of practical experience. Mm-hmm. And they're working, I think, now on doing a lot more specialty classes. But when I was in law school, they didn't have a lot of different specialty classes. And I was one of 135, I don't know, students who was a nurse. I was the only person in my class who was a nurse. One other person ahead of me, a year or two ahead of me, was a doctor who was getting her law degree. And then there was maybe one other person who had like a healthcare related background. So it was very rare. I was a rare person to be in their program. Yeah. So I saw on your website that you do a lot of consulting. Would you consider going to Howard and like teaching a medical clinic or something? Yeah. When I move back to DC, no time soon. Okay. Uh, (laughs) DC in in a different era was so much fun. Now, not so much, but I would. I think if it was a virtual option to teach a course or classes related to medical malpractice or personal injury or any of the, the work that I do, definitely that would be a no-brainer because I really feel like it opens an opportunity for students to really see what other options are out there. You don't really get to see what other options or opportunities are out there. When you're thinking about the big firms, which is a lot of transactional work or litigation, we need really good attorneys who committed to the work of expanding and making healthcare better. And you need attorneys to do that a lot of times through lawsuits because that's the only way things get better when people have to pay and are held accountable. So yeah, I definitely would. Okay. At Southern, I went to Southern University in Baton Rouge. Oh, yeah. Um, I went there for law school. And we actually had a retired physician who taught our torts course, and he actually taught medical malpractice as well. Uh, one of your advanced torts classes. Yeah. So um, I think Baltimore is extremely litigious when it comes to medical malpractice, not just personal okay. injury, but they sue a lot there. So. Yeah, it's funny. I was talking to someone and they were like, all people want to do is sue, 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 sue. And I'm like, if you have an issue with them and you can't figure it out, you have to sue. Like that's your, that's the recourse. What's the other option? There are no other options. And a lot of times what I try to explain is that most people sue because they can't get the answer that they need. Mm -hmm. If you told me what I needed to hear, what I needed to know, then I probably wouldn't sue you. <laughs> right. And if, if you, or if you were, there was a way for me to hold you accountable without me going through a three, four, five year process of a lawsuit, why would mm-hmm. I do that? But there isn't. So, guess what? <laughs> we're going to court. Right. And so, did you take the Maryland bar exam because you were in DC? Yeah. So, usually in Maryland, most people in that area, even if you go to school in DC, they take the Maryland bar because you, it's easier to wave into DC, where if you take okay. the DC bar, you can't wave into anywhere. So I took the Maryland bar. I didn't pass the first time I took it. My grandfather died like halfway through and it just really threw me off. And I'm so type A that if you throw me off my game, like it's very hard for me to get back on. I was very unforgiving of myself of missing a week to go plan his funeral. And so I just never caught back up. And I think I missed about like three or four points. Um, And that just like set me back. I was like, I don't even want to be a lawyer anymore. I can't believe I went to law school. Like it was, I was frustrated. So I ended up back in healthcare, trying to figure out my life, which I always say all the time, I'm figuring out my life. And then they emailed me like a year later, like your application is going to expire if you don't take it. So I was like, oh, let me just take it again. And in the most chaotic situation of where I'm raising my, I have a son, I have two sons, but at the time I had one, my husband was traveling. I was working like crazy. I studied 
and passed <laughs> and did better than I did when I was like home alone that whole summer after graduating from law school so that's how it is yeah I took the Maryland bar bar a couple years after I graduated and passed and then I took the New York bar actually in January and missed it by six points okay. and was like okay well I'll take it in October and then here we are so yeah. that didn't happen and I don't think it will happen I don't think I'm ever going to take it again because I don't know when I'll ever be comfortable sitting in a room with a thousand people no I understand on your website, you mentioned that the development of both of the systems, legal and nursing, didn't happen in a vacuum. Did law school help you see more nuances in the nursing system or medical systems? Yeah, I would say yes, definitely. And I think for me, what happened was I've always been very opinionated, very strongly opinionated about a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And I opened up my criminal law book and like the first case I read, I was like, this is crazy. Like it was, I don't remember what the case was. I just remember the way the case law was applied to someone. It just like, it was just wrong and bad. Yeah. And I was like, is this what is happening in the world <laughs> around me? Is this what I've been missed? I've been truly blind to the depths of oppressive and systemic mm-hmm. white supremacy. I, I just did not believe that I was that blind to think that people made choices. Like everyone has a choice. Like I used to be like, everyone has a choice and everyone can just, you know, make their own choices. And that comes from me growing in a very religious I understand why evangelicals can be very extremists. So I grew mm-hmm. up in a Pentecostal home where I was just taught that, you know, it was the will of God for some of these things to happen and just all of these different things. And I still believe in God. I still have faith. But sometimes you just got to understand the system is dirty and is yeah. wrong and it is deep. And if the moment you step your foot in the criminal justice system, it is so hard to get out of. Systematically. Yes. And avoiding the criminal justice system is so difficult. And to me, it's the same with healthcare. Once your health goes wrong, it is so hard to make it right and for other things not to happen. So when they talk about comorbidities and the different diseases that someone can have and how that impacts your body, it's not that you just wake up one day and you have a heart attack. There were so many other things that were happening that were either not being taken care of, not being addressed, or just you not going to your follow-ups or check-ins, but why, right? Mm -hmm. So understanding that there's always a why of a reason why people don't do things. So people don't go to the doctor because they don't have a copay. (laughs) They don't have the money. They don't have health insurance. They don't have transportation. They don't have transportation, right? Those things are so major and it really plays into someone's health. To me, it is equally as bad in the criminal justice system. People don't do the things that they're supposed to do to avoid the criminal justice system or get involved in bad things, not necessarily because they want to, it's just because that's the option that's in front of them sometimes. And it's so easy for some people to take that option than to go the opposite way. Mm-hmm. And so I think that crim law, like the first few weeks of crim law, I was like, I just felt like overwhelmed. Yeah. Like this is what we're fighting up against like precedence that has been set since the 17, 18, 1900, you know, like this stuff is old. This is deep. This, <laughs> and still things have not changed in a lot of ways and understanding how hard people have worked to create change and how hard people are still working to create change and how long it's taken just for small incremental changes to happen has made me feel like I have to be a superhero. So I have to be this voice for the voiceless on both sides of the fence because I have this education and experience. And that's just what I have to do. Like, it doesn't Mm -hmm. matter 
how tired or exhausted or whatever. Like, yes, I believe in rest and balance, all those things. But right now we're at the point we're at in this country, there's no way that I can ever not convince people to understand how bad things are in our healthcare system. And if we lose the Affordable Care Act without replacing it with something substantial, we lose everything. Yeah. Literally, we lose providers, we lose hospital systems, we lose everything because that is what kept us afloat for the past few years. And losing that would be just for rural communities, like and I think people think about the positive things that happen when we get more services or more resources, they only think about big cities. But mm-hmm. what I like, what people fail to understand is like a big city will figure it out. They will make it work. Nonprofits, there are thousands of nonprofits in New York City, thousands of, you know, publicly funded options in, in New York and on the East Coast. But you talk about a place like Wisconsin, you talk about a place like Kentucky, where OBGYNs aren't flocking to go work there because they're not being reimbursed appropriately. Louisiana. So, oh, Louisiana? Oh yeah. man, I don't even know how, <laughs> I don't even know how people, healthcare workers that work there, I know people who work in healthcare in Louisiana as a nurse and they Mm-mm. get paid less than someone who works at Chick-fil-A. Yeah. Okay. So you, you know, I'm like, so why would we want to lose that? Why would we want to give away that growth and that stability that we've given to people because having health insurance is a basic right just like mm-hmm. housing. and so because of that I feel so strongly about so many different things and it really gets me worked up when I see the attacks that are happening on basic human rights which is stuff like healthcare and housing um, and it's in healthcare and the law intersects so much because if you can't go to the doctor and you're not a healthy person, then you can't work yeah. and you don't pay taxes and you can't take care of your kids and you can't take care of your family. And for a lot of places, there is no such thing as section eight. Like you cannot get on section eight anymore in, mm-hmm. in the East coast. There's no place on the East coast that is offering section eight anymore. Wow. But unless you have a section eight voucher, yes, you can take that section eight voucher and leave, but the list is closed. So if you now don't have access to housing, you're homeless. You're in a shelter with thousands of other people who are in the shelter system that are fighting to get out and trying to find a decent job to then help them pay for a decent apartment to then, if they lose their job, be back in a shelter. Like, it's deep. Everything's connected. So connected. Um, And I think that's where I stand in the gap for those who people don't understand that if we scale back our health care, right? If we scale back the ACA without a plan in place, we lose a lot of the stability that we've had over the last eight years. Yeah. I mean, I saw on your website that you had a blog article about being a travel nurse. What was that experience like? Yeah. So prior to this, I was managing a couple of clinics in the Bronx, which served a very underserved community. Um, And then COVID happened and we pretty much weren't seeing any patients. And I was like, well, Mm. I don't know how long we're going to be able to survive. It's a nonprofit. And I didn't want to be in a situation where I either had to lose my salary, which they were asking some people to do is to reduce our salaries or getting laid off. So I decided, you know what, I'll just take a chance, go back to work in the hospital. And I assumed that going back in to take care of COVID patients would be like a long-term thing because We knew that the virus was bad and it was impacting a lot of people in our communities, but we didn't really know what was going to happen like over the next few weeks. Um, So I went back into the hospital. It was a very scary time. Everyone was very 
tense and nervous because it just happened so quickly. Like we knew it was coming, but nobody was really prepared for what happened when people arrived, which are basically people were coming with all types of symptoms. Some people were asymptomatic and positive. Some people were having severe symptoms and then, you know, they were fine a few days later. And then some people were here one second and go on the next. Husbands and wives were coming in and one would be leaving and one had passed away. So it was a lot of trauma and a lot of chaos in the beginning. And as travel nurses, you don't get a lot of training in general, but like in this instance, we barely got any training. You were kind of just thrown in to be a body to take care of the patients as they came. But like the blog I shared, it was like, as some of the patients were coming, they were dying so quickly. We didn't, we weren't even really taking care of people. Right. Mm -hmm. So normally we would be treating people's symptoms and giving antibiotics and providing all these things. And People were pretty much coming up from the ER just either so sick or dead. And I think that was some of the most traumatizing moments. And then the ones who were surviving were either, you know, one minute they were doing okay, like they were having difficulty breathing or some other symptoms, and then they would have a stroke. And so now they're disabled or some of the younger ones were having really bad wounds. So people were having to go to rehab in long-term care. But then there weren't places that were accepting them because they had COVID and that would impact their their patients and population as well. So it was a lot. I think more than anyone can ever describe, I think a lot of what has happened, a lot of healthcare workers have just kind of pushed down and suppressed to get through. Yeah, I live in Kentucky and I remember watching everything on the news and it was like watching a horror film. You're just like, what is happening? And you feel so helpless, especially for us. We're like, can we send anything? Can we do anything? Like you're just watching on TV, kind of waiting for it to come to your state. It was was terrifying. And many of the travel nurses who came from the Southern states then went home to now have to deal with it in their own states because Mm -hmm. things weren't closed down like they were here. I think for me, it feels as if New York is the place that's closed the most. And we've had the most restrictions for the longest period of time, of course, because we had the some of the worst outcomes. It's been, I think, more harmful to our mental health than I think we can even admit sometimes because it's a heavy burden to bear to know that staying home is the best option, but knowing that staying home means you're going to be home all winter long and probably yeah. all spring as well. So. Yeah, it is. It's very tough. So although you believed in advocacy before you went to law school and you went to law school, you said, because you need the education and the network and the critical thinking. Mm-hmm. Would you do it all over again? Um, I would say ask me in five years when I have more money and my student loans are paid off. <laughs> um, I mean, I think in the best of days, yes, I would do it a thousand times over mm-hmm. because I now have the ability to do things that I couldn't have done just as a nurse. I have the authority to sit at tables and to have conversations and to advocate for people. I mean, there may be a few thousand nurses who are attorneys, but a lot of people don't know about them, right? Yeah. So yes, I would. On the days where I'm looking at my student loans, I'm like, this was not worth it. (laughs) This was too much. But I mean, I see it paying off now, but I definitely see in a few years when I am where I really want to be, that I'm going to be like, oh, it was worth it. Yeah. I ain't there yet. <laughs> Do you find that your law degree opens up more doors for you? I think I've had to create my own space. Okay. So when I graduated from law school, I could not find a job, a legal job that was paying decent money. The federal government was paying sixty dollars to $65,000 for people coming out of law school after you passed the bar. I was making that at 21 
working okay. three or four days a week as a nurse. Okay. So it was like, I was like, I'm not doing that. Like, and working five days a <laughs> week and having to work on the weekend. Oh God, like that's too much. And the jobs that I really wanted and were going after and applying for, I would interview for, I do phone interviews for, and people were like, I just wanted to know why a nurse would become a lawyer. I'm like, that ain't got nothing to do with it. It's like, that's not the question. The question is, do I need a job? Yes. Do Why I bring in both stuff? Right. We're right here talking um, about this. Yes. A lot of people were really confused about my resume. The people weren't willing to give me an opportunity, despite the fact that I had work experience before I went to law school. I felt like it was really hard. Whereas my friends who had no work experience, had never worked a job before, who went straight through, have better opportunities. And I think that I'm a rule follower. And so if I don't completely qualify for something, I wasn't applying, whereas other people were just like, oh, I don't care. I'm going to mm-hmm. apply anyways. I wasn't that bold then. And I think I missed out on a lot, a lot of opportunities that way as well. And so I don't think that people were willing to listen to someone who was a nurse and a lawyer, even though I thought working for the federal government, I had all of the qualifications and the years and all of these things. I tried to get into risk management for years and people would say, oh, you need more nursing experience. You don't even need a law degree to be a risk manager or a compliance officer, but people would tell me that I didn't have enough experience, Wow. uh, even for entry-level positions. And so for a while, I was very put off by like that, like, how could someone tell me no? (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. I literally worked for this. I'm first-generation college in my family. I literally worked through school. And so I was, I wasn't ashamed. I more was just like, felt very defeated. And then in the past couple of years, I decided like, okay, if no one's going to give you opportunity, you'll create your own. If I have to work as a nurse, because that's what pays my bills, that's fine. And then I'll build my own practice. And then when COVID happened, I think people really started listening to nurses more. Yeah. And so that opened up, I think, a space for me to really, you know, amplify my voice a lot easier and then people were like wait you're a nurse and a lawyer I've never heard of that yeah that's a great asset I mean yes and people became more interested in that so I for me now I don't really care about necessarily having a specific job or job title like I don't need to be anyone's anything because now I'm in a position where I'm creating my own voice in my own lane and finding my own ways to work through some of the systemic issues that I know that are happening and trying to, you know, break down those barriers. Okay. So in closing here, I just want to tell everyone to go to your website, take a look at it. Uh, Is there anything else you wanted to say? Yeah, I hope people can come check me out on Instagram. I do a lot of videos, offer a lot of information on maternal health, on healthcare issues, on legal topics. I'm transitioning to expand my content to a lot more legal topics that will be supportive for nurse practitioners and medical providers who have their own practice. Check me out on my website, iwilliamslaw.com. And let's work together. Like I really do love to support other women, other attorneys who are doing great things. And I'm just so honored to have been here to share a piece of my story. Thank you. That was great. Thank you. That was awesome. You have a good rest of the day. Thank you. Uh Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to You Are a Lawyer. While you are here, subscribe to the show, leave a rating, and tell a friend about this episode. New episodes are released every other Thursday. Thanks again for listening. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Bye.